0: We recently asked a couple hundred of you emerging biotech leaders about your go to sources of information when you face tough professional challenges. Your top response wasn't webinars. It wasn't scientific journals. It wasn't trade shows. It wasn't even consultants. Far and away, you said you most often turn to your peers for trusted insight. Enabling a community of peers is what the Business of Biotech podcast is all about. It's also what our new Business of Biotech newsletter is all about peer driven content, no strings attached delivered to your inbox once a month. Go to bioprocessonline.com backslash B-O-B to subscribe. The business of biotech is produced by Bioprocess Online, part of the Life Science Connect community, with support from Cytiva. Cytiva also demonstrates its commitment to the leaders of new and emerging biopharma at citiva.com backslash emerging biotech. Check that out. Flagship pioneering has become one of my favorite editorial targets for multiple reasons. The that's spinning up are many, some 35 current companies and 50 now exited since Flagship was founded in 1999, and they're doing a lot of bleeding edge work. Equally, if not more important, is that in addition to being brilliant scientists and business people, I've found every flagshipper I've met to be a genuinely nice human being. I'm Matt Piller. This is the Business of Biotech, and my guest on today's show is no exception. Dr. Avak Kavijian is General Partner at Flagship Pioneering, where he's been directly involved in the raising of multiple flags, including Ceres Therapeutics, Rubius Therapeutics, Kodiak Biosciences, Signal Therapeutics, Ring Therapeutics, Celerity, LaRonde, Generate Biomedicines, and most recently, ampersand biomedicines. On today's show, we'll get to know Dr. Kavijian and we'll learn a lot about Flagship, including how it spins up biopharma so proficiently and where it sees medicine going next. Dr. Kavijian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to have you. I want to open up with a question that is, uh, I'm sure, burning in the back of everyone's mind who's watching the video version of this podcast on, on YouTube or on our website. Uh, and that is why are Armenian men so damn good looking how, like what is going on there?
1: Thanks for the compliment. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it's in the genes, I guess. Uh, It is.
0: I I don't think I've, I've never met, uh, you know, an aesthetically displeasing Armenian. So, uh, I I just wondered, I wondered if there was some sort, you know, some sort of secret sauce in the genetics. I, I don't know.
1: Well, I've thought about starting the, the the equivalent of the Kardashians, maybe the Kavajans, and uh, see if you can. can...
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot there, but uh, you know, just, just a compliment uh, to the, to the heritage. Um, I, I do want to start getting to know you a little bit, though, uh, and, and I want to. I, I think a good place to start is just at a very high level. Why? Uh, why did you choose biopharma?
1: Yeah, it's uh it's a bit of a circuitous journey. Um, As a child, I always loved science and technology. Um, My dad was interestingly an engineer, but a very curious one and and one who loved to to dabble in various technologies. Um, In fact, he bought us a a computer when I was maybe five years old, um, way back when computers weren't a household item. And uh, and I just got really enamored with it. I not only played games with it, obviously, but I even liked to just run the operating system, you know, coding it to basically run things and eventually started to do programming um, maybe in my DNA, there's a, a penchant to always want to do hard things. <laughs> mm. And so when it, time came to pick a major um, later on in life, I almost thought computers was too easy, too straightforward. Um, it might have been more lucrative, but I decided that to be at the forefront, I would, I should be in biotechnology and not just technology, because that was kind of going to be the next new frontier, the next new exciting frontier, um, and that if I wanted to tinker and learn and build. It would be more fun in the realm of biotechnology than in the realm of technology. Uh, and so that that's kind of how I ended up there. I ended up picking my major at, at, at McGill in biochemistry then continued on and and did a uh, a PhD there as well.
0: Yeah yeah that's will i'll uh, i'll I'll try to shield this episode from our friends in the in the i t space who you know might might be offended by your assessment that i t might just be too too easy technology um no, but i I, I get it. Uh, I actually covered technology for twenty some years before I moved into the life sciences space um and it is uh the the challenge and also the opportunity, the marriage which we'll talk about as we as we kind of move through here, the marriage of of computational. And biology is a super fascinating and, and super complex and hard uh arena. Uh, you mentioned that you went to McGill and, and got your PhD in biochem. Um, and it looks like you know if you kind of follow your your career trajectory, it looks like you came out of McGill with that with that PhD in biochem and, and is I mean you know uh, at least on paper it looks like you you made the move as quickly as possible into the business side of of biotech. Uh, maybe a brief stint uh, in in the you know as a scientist in the science side, and then moved moved directly into biz dev and and that kind of thing. Was that was that intentional? Was that strategic on your part?
1: Uh, y- yes, it was. Um, p- partly, so what happened was that at the tail end of my PhD and throughout my PhD, I was doing what I loved, which was science. But at the same time, I, I started to feel like. I was working on a very small and narrow field of science that was not going to have that much impact, or at least that's how it felt when I was doing it. And so it felt like, yeah, I'm working at the, at the bleeding edge at the, at the, at the frontier, but I'm only kind of piercing that frontier with a pinhole. And, and yeah, it was cool to be there at that edge, but how much impact was I going to have? What were going to be the consequences of my work and so on? Because it was basic research by definition, and that's what it was meant to do. So that's when I realized that I needed to figure out a way to continue to do science, follow my passion, um, satiate my curiosity and my 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 desires there, but, but to also try to maximize what I was working on and what impact it was having. And so I actually didn't do a postdoc i decided to stay at at uh at at the lab i was in uh which we'll talk about wasn't was an mrna lab it just so happens mm-hmm. um uh to to almost uh, ironically dispel my my belief that it wasn't going to have any impact but we, <laughs> so i i took my time and i started to explore where 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 that could that could be where would that be where would be that intersection of impact and and curiosity driven science and so on And I realized that entrepreneurship was going to be the best way to do it because it combined doing things at the frontier while also building value and and having impact and also getting exposure to a broader range of things as opposed to working on a very focused task. Um, And and that's how I ended up working in a company that was a flagship company uh, by the name of Helicos Biosciences. And it was super scientific in that we were trying to create a single molecule DNA sequencer, which had never been created before. Literally just no one had ever achieved that before. We were doing it based on current science. Yeah, but we had to develop completely new science and new engineering technologies and techniques to make it a reality. But I was going to be involved in finding applications for the technology, talking to key opinion leaders about what such a technology needed to do, could do, where it could be applied, what new new things could it enable, and then to instantiate that, to actually make that a reality and, and get to market. Uh, and so to me, it was like an ideal next step. It was a great learning ground, training ground for bio-entrepreneurship, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when I was in academia, I could see folks working on the Human Genome Project. I could see Tools providers, developing the tools for for folks to 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 actually tackle this new frontier of the human genome. And it was happening both in not just pure academia, but institutional science and in industrial science. And I was just aching to to be part of it. And so that that's what kind of drew me in that direction. Um and and that's how I ended up at, at Helicos, which was a quick Quick transition, like you said, no gradual postdoc, then work at the bench, and then move from the bench eventually onto the business side, yeah. uh, and that's why I did it. Um, and and look, I got turned away by a lot of people who said that I should go follow the traditional path if I wanted to enter entrepreneurship or the biotech industri- industrial biotech arena, yeah. and I just said no. I'm going to hold out for a unique opportunity that let me let me do both.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh and that opportunity. I'm I'm curious about uh your your mindset around, you know, when you, you mentioned that when you were at the, you know, in, in a scientific role and you were focused on a, a I think you you called it a, a a pinprick sort of point, like a very narrow narrow focus, na- narrow focus area. Um to 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 move from that to uh, you know, relatively quickly a role where you're sp- potentially spread thin, right? Like may- maybe maybe some founders find themselves moving from science into into entrepreneurship and finding themselves spread far too thin plus it's a different different mindset than perhaps a lot of scientists uh have innately right to zero in on a specific problem and and uh, spend all the resources and time on that problem uh tell me tell me what it takes what it took for you I mean is that just baked into your personality the ability to 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 um, to embrace, I guess, the breadth of responsibility that comes with the entrepreneurship and foundership as a science, you know, coming from a science foundation. Or is that a is that a typically difficult transition for scientists to make?
1: I, I do think it depends on one's personality and personal proclivities and and penchants. I like to 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 to, Get involved in a lot of things. I'm curious about a lot of things, even things that might seem mundane, like intellectual property mm. uh, or finances or marketing, etc. I think those are all really fascinating, um, and and the interplay is even more fascinating for me. And so I, I'm I'm very interested in interdisciplinary, even on the science side. I'm very interested in interdisciplinary research. When I was working in the science lab. I wanted to integrate different technologies and approaches to tackling the problems we were facing, as opposed to just running the the, the same thing over and over again and and trying to make make uh, headway. I I was very curious in applying novel technologies and eventually computation and other things to to doing what I was doing. So to me, it was just an extension of that—to to think in a multidisciplinary way about how to have impact uh, and. For, and and look, it was a steep learning curve. There's no doubt. I didn't. I barely knew what these words meant when I entered. Um, when I entered the the biotech arena, um, I didn't even know much about genomics, to be honest. And I was now working in a genomics company, coming from an mRNA lab. But that, to me, was what was so invigorating and stimulating: the fact that I was now kind of coming in as a complete newbie into an arena that had a different set of vocabulary and, 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 and different, um, different levers, different, different things to different priorities. And I had to make, make my way in that, in that arena. So genomics was completely not new to me. Product development was new to me. Uh, you know, there's a, there was a funny time where I had a boss who said, you're going to be a product product manager now. And I was like, OK, yeah, great. Um, excellent. I'll, I'll be a product manager now. Um, I had no idea what that was. I had to go. <laughs> I ran home and I Googled it and bought a book on product management to understand what the hell he wanted me to do. <laughs> I was scared to death. But but that that to me was has always been invigorating and stimulating And I do think that most successful entrepreneurs, although, you know, they talk about focus, 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 that's the key. I think most successful entrepreneurs are actually polyvalent, polylingual, um, and aren't just subject matter experts on a given thing hammering away and persisting on just a a minute thing. They have to be integrators and synthesizers of quite complex, um, quite complex things in order to generate value.
0: It's a that's a that's a beautiful segue because I want to spend some time now talking about uh, flagship and I th- those are attributes that I I gather from my exposure to flagship uh, are, are important to the flagship culture and and community those poly attributes as, as you put it. Um, I've I've had like you know from the inside as an observer who spends his time talking with executives at biopharmaceutical companies I've had the the privilege of of speaking with many flagship CEOs from Tessera and, and Ring and, and others so I've got some perspective on on who who flagship is and what it does a lot of folks don't a lot of folks you know associate flagship with Moderna because Moderna is the the big success story of the you know of the of, of the of recent uh, of recent years and a product of flagship pioneering. Um, but there's a lot more to the company than that and I and I'd like you to to kind of open open us up to the the and I know it pre- predates you a bit right the origin 1999 2000ish uh, the the founding of of uh, of of flagship but but take us back to the you know the new bar circa 2000 give us the origin story and help us understand like where this flagship phenomenon began
1: yeah. So, uh Nubar's history is 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 interesting because he he was also a scientist engineer that became became an entrepreneur. Um and and he did that in in a variety of contexts in building his own startup then having that startup get acquired uh and then building an entire division and initiative within that that company to sequence the human genome which which became Celera Genomics. Um I mean, that story has been documented elsewhere. Uh, but what's interesting is the what happened after that was Nubar decided that he wanted to essentially help create companies and and innovate and and so he started a company called Gen, very creatively named for New Company Generator. And that was the predecessor to, to flagship. And it predates me, as you said. I I joined Flagship in 2011 when it was already now called Flagship Ventures. Um, but everything uh, up to those years was flagship, iterating on this model of um, bringing together cutting-edge technology, uh, visionary uh, entrepreneurs, and investors to, to to build companies that were unique and unlike um, other other companies in in the arena. Um, when I joined in 2011, uh, we had started to transition to becoming less of a venture capital firm and much more of a venture creation firm. And venture creation when we in, in our definition was to actually ideate and invent the technology in house. And I actually joined that side of the shop. Funny enough, we we were almost two sides of of a of a of a firm and I've never done due diligence on a company in my life. I don't know I don't I barely know what where to start. I've only worked on what was then the Venture Labs division of our, of our firm. And my first two projects were Moderna, believe it or not, and Ceres. And mm. uh, my mRNA background was, was what ended up getting me involved in, in the Moderna
0: project. Yeah. Which imagine was, that to your, to your earlier point, you know, mRNA was too, too narrow and focused to, of course that th- those academic uh, months or years spent on uh, mRNA was like way before mRNA was as cool as it is now. Right. I mean, that
1: was, that's like, exactly right. I mean,
0: right. Right. Age and we you, were,
1: but, right. And we were working on the fundamentals of how mRNA gets translated into protein. How does that work inside the cell? Uh, and there were hundreds of academics working on various aspects of mRNA in academia. Um but yeah, who we I didn't have the the vision that mRNA would turn into a, a therapy, let alone a a, a world changing uh, vaccine. But but I, it, it turned out to be the first project I got involved with after Helicos, um, and 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 Helicos was was uh, was coming to an end, and Flagship was an investor in Helicos uh, among a few other top tier investors. But as Helicos was transitioning and trying to figure out its way i got really exposed to the flagship model of entrepreneurial innovation iteration that creative process of continually seeking value with science and technology and that's what drew me to flagship so going th- those those latter years of of helicos where we were transitioning from becoming a, a, from from being a research tool provider to potentially a diagnostics company, all that iteration and ideation happened with flagship, with flagship uh, protagonists, uh, including Nubar. And so when when Helicos came to an end, it was a natural transition for me to to move to flagship to continue that entrepreneurial innovation um, that I didn't see anywhere else really uh, in in the pure play venture capital world. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, my, my first project was Moderna, working with uh, Nubar and Stefan on just imagining what mRNA could do and could be, could become uh, the original insight that Nubar had that maybe we can use mRNA to program the body to make its own medicines. And if so, how would we do it? What could it do? What are all the possibilities? How how? much of an impact could this have all that we were literally writing on the back of a napkin and uh, in PowerPoints and in on notepads. Um, And I was involved in those early days. It was super, super exciting. And uh, the the other company that you mentioned in the intro series, where again, we imagined out of the blue, whether microbes could be used as therapies and could we put microbes in a pill and cure disease uh, started at flagship as an idea with not with your typical team coming and pitching to flagship an idea or a professor uh, pitching to flagship an idea, but but flagship ideating and creatively spinning up a concept and then figuring out what is the plan to seeing if this is real and can we turn this into a, a company? Uh, so that's and that's what I've been doing ever since 2011. Um, and Flagship has been doing now exclusively uh, and, and in a much more scaled way.
0: When you joined Flagship, coming off of the the Helicos experience, uh, you mentioned you know you you went right to work on on mRNA and, and what would become Moderna. Um, was there sort of a was there a carved out role for you at that point, or or, or would you consider yourself sort of? A, I mean, you you've you've touched so many projects since and been involved in the founding of of so many flagship companies since. I mean, I almost envision like this sort of roving, uh, opportunistic founder or entrepreneur role uh, there. I mean, what did did the structure of that role look like?
1: Yeah, so my title formerly was Partner, Venture Labs. So it was that I was joining this initiative that we were calling Venture Labs within Flagship, and that I was going to work on originating new companies funny enough back then we also didn't have a lot of staff for all the other stuff that were going on uh, so i was also involved in marketing and communications for flagship and business development for flagship mm. and new company creation uh, alongside my other partners and and we were so small uh it didn't feel small back then but we were so small back then that just working on series for example as a company I involved myself uh Jeff von Maltson, who's a partner at Flagship, a general partner at Flagship alongside me now, still. David Berry, who was a partner at Flagship, and Nubar, four of us working on one project uh together yeah. to, to originate the company. So you're right, it was somewhat of a an ill-defined role and and quite entrepreneurial in the context of a what would have been seen as a venture capital firm back then. Um mm-hmm just to do a lot of science and iteration in a team team dynamic uh in a, in a team setting uh, and that's really that that that's in our DNA now that same that same approach is is still in our DNA and it's still the way we operate except on a grander scale where we have teams of teams doing this uh in parallel yeah
0: yeah we'll get into some of that here um new, new bar though I I made I made the 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 job I I embarrassed you about your armenian the aesthetic of your armenian heritage uh <laughs> which is sincere by the way sincere you're you're a really good looking guy uh and so is nubar right nubars armenian nubar's, um, right. nubars armenian so what what tell me about armenia like tell me about uh what what it is in the you talk about dna a lot what's in the armenian dna that lends itself to the you know uh, in brilliant and proficient uh, biotech startup leadership
1: well, I, I don't know I don't know whether it's all biotech um but but definitely there is an entrepreneurial bent to to Armenians. I I think you know is it nature versus nurture? Uh obviously a little bit of both. Um as you know, Armenia has gone through a lot, quite a bit quite a bit of uh of turmoil uh throughout its entire existence for thousands of years. Um, so I think there's a a a sort of maybe selection pressure on, 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 on that region of the world where we've had to be very adaptable, um, resilient, persistent, creative to survive really uh, and to figure out ways to thrive. Uh, And I don't know if that's what um, has, has led to many Armenians becoming entrepreneurs um, in North America and in Europe and elsewhere, Um, But but definitely there there are quite a few Armenians that that are in the in the business of of generating value and and uh, creating creating new things. Um, So uh, for me, it's it's been it's been both uh, let's call it a. an advantage, I think, in some respects, uh having been raised that way and having come from that culture, but it's also a burden we bear. I mean, to me, uh it's it, it involves having to be involved in the Armenian community and and um help maintain the culture and the language and the identity, uh helping Armenia in any way I can uh to to support its uh, survival and, and uh growth um financially and with my time um and so it's uh it's it's it it doesn't come for free um yeah. it's it's yeah. quite a bit
0: but it's uh but but it's uh you, you know you 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 hinted at some of the sort of core core tenets um of you know tenacity and character and and those are things that play out at, at Flagship, you know, and you, you and I talked not too long ago about sort of the immigrant mentality or the foreign, I can't remember whether you said immigrant or foreigner mentality that's sort of adopted in the culture at, at Flagship and how that helps define the company's approach. And, and I'd like you to expound on that a little bit and clarify for our audience, like, what, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, well I don't I think I wanna be careful that it not be taken too literally and that you don't have to be an immigrant. Oh no, uh, no, no. <laughs> of right? course. Exactly. And and so I think the idea is that, you know, if you if you um you know put yourself in your own shoes when you travel somewhere or when you go somewhere that is entirely foreign to you or even significantly foreign it doesn't have to be entirely foreign you you have a just a different approach to how you take in the world around you and how you react to it you know there's a you don't first of all you don't take anything for granted um especially if you have to move there you don't take anything for granted you're really keen on making sure you can establish yourself um you have in some sometimes you have a heightened sense of curiosity and awareness um it's just different you're not walking down your own your own neighborhood street you're walking down a completely different street somehow like you get a, a just a different perspective uh it's just a heightened heightened awareness and i think we try to maintain that um throughout everything we do in fact just the the, the mere nature of of entering into a new discipline each time starting a, a, a coming up with a new idea in a new area, by definition, you're kind of immigrating into that new space and you have to learn everything you can about it. You have to ask yourself what's what matters, what doesn't matter. You have to almost question everything and not take anything for face value and also not take anything for granted. So it gives you this sense of optimism on the one hand and a sense of paranoia that you have to maintain Throughout the entrepreneurial journey, and and we try to convey that to everyone uh, at Flagship as they're ideating and inventing new bio platforms. So that's that's kind of how we um, we describe it. Um, and I think it's it's um, it's it's helpful. I think it, it helps people um, constantly remind themselves or pinch themselves that hey, look, we're all working on the frontier here, uh, and we're doing pioneering stuff. It's not going to be easy. Uh, but there's also a lot of opportunity because there's a lot of unmade future to be made here and we do it together
0: we know that early stage biopharmas need support producing and scaling a biologic molecule is not easy companies with new or evolving programs need assistance every step of the way join us each week as we discuss all things emerging biotech including regulatory, financing, and more The Pod is brought to you in collaboration with Citiva. Cytiva a global provider of technologies and services that advance and accelerate the development, manufacture, and delivery of therapeutics, from idea to injection. Check out their resources at Cytiva.com backslash Emerging Biotech. That's cytiv backslash Emerging Biotech. Just a fi- final note on that. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit of uh, just a, a tidbit of practical advice on nurturing that mentality, like um, in a consistent way, right? Like it's easy for companies to say, "Oh, you know, this is our this is the d- d- uh, definitive." It's a, it's like a part of the d- definition of our of our culture. But you know, when you see that play out at Flagship, what's going on behind the scenes to to make sure that that seeds being watered?
1: Yeah, I think it's um it's in our day-to-day behaviors. Uh as we're pitching and catching internally, uh as we're proposing plans and implementing plans, we're constantly questioning. It's it's almost um you know, for someone who ha- who's not used to it, it it may also almost seem counterproductive mm. where uh someone's saying, "Well, here's what I want to do and here's how I want to do it," and we're almost almost always invariably asking why, why that way? Why not this way? Did you think about that? Did you think about this? What if we did this instead? Uh, And we, we all play it. Once you're in that group, we all play off of it with each other. Um, It's, it's on a day-to-day basis. Uh, It's, it's almost now become second nature to everyone involved. Whereas look, when I first got there, I was really keen on creating plans and, and implementing those plans, just very clear plans. Of what are we going to do then? What are we going to do then? And what's going to happen yeah. then? And and then I realized quickly, well, no, it has to be much more agile um, and much more curious and integrating inputs from all sources possible continually, sensing and responding to the to the environment as we're moving forward, as we're making progress. Um, so it's very much like. Uh, pioneering in an uncharted, uncharted space. So yeah. meeting from meeting to meeting, uh, when we're, when we're pitching, when we're evaluating, when we're planning, that's the kind of mindset we, we apply.
0: Yeah. You've uh, as I ascertained in the, in sort of the opening statement uh, about the, the flagship companies that you've played a role in, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, are there any common threads among them or is there a common thread among them? Well, at
1: Flagship, yeah, at Flagship, we're we're very much interested in creating bio platforms, and 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 what we mean by that are new uh, technologies or approaches that can create multiple products. And so, uh, in in the biotech space, there's often this dichotomy that that gets bandied around of well, is this a platform company or is this a product company? And we are adamant that we want to create multi-product bioplatform companies. So yes and yes, meaning a platform can't just be a platform that doesn't generate products. And just a bag of products does not make for a platform that can repeatedly give you uh, valuable assets and and create life-changing medicines. So the combination of the two is what we seek in every case, in every case. So that would be a common thread that's not just common to the things I've done, but the things that we've all done at Flagship and and continue to do. And we've been unwavering in that, uh, in that approach um, because we think it builds a tremendous amount of value and has the highest potential of having impact and of giving us optionality to survive and thrive um, in the uncertain world of biotechnology and biology.
0: Yeah. Uh follow-up question on that, like the, the platform versus product or or combination, sort of business mentality. I'm I'm curious about your opinion and, and thoughts on this. So you know, we spend a lot of time talking with companies who perhaps come out of academia with a platform idea and they develop that platform idea to a point a you know, biotechnology platform. Um, and then perhaps at some point, not even perhaps, like we, we run into this case all the time. At some point, that company says, well, to demonstrate and we, we've matured this platform to a point where we feel like we can demonstrate its value in developing a specific asset. So they decide they're going to build a pipeline. Maybe it's a single asset, maybe it's multiple assets, but they they build a pipeline. So you look at it and you're like, well what came first? The you know, the the biopharma, like the 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 innovator, right? The 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 the, can, the, the company that produces candidates. Or or the platform company? And what do you intend to do with that platform? Is it your intention to take that platform and be a supplier to other biopharma companies? And oftentimes the answers to your point are yes, 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 and yes. Um, so a lot of these companies, especially in a tumultuous VC and, and capital markets uh, environment, a lot of these companies like the idea of having a, a platform that they can maybe license for development and target identification and so on to other biopharma companies while funding, you know, using that maybe to fund their own pipeline. I mean, there's myriad permutations of, of the model. What is it at flagship? Like, are these platforms proprietary for the most part, uh, you know, serving the flagship companies? Is there the intention perhaps that some of these platforms could be uh, made for for greater use to the, the greater biopharmaceutical industry or space or, or pharma, you know, in the case of small mall, um, just wh- whatever insight you can kind of provide on like where your head is on, on that and, and where flagships head is.
1: Yeah. Well, look, we, these, these platforms, as I said, are invented in house, they're developed in house. Um, uh, and the, the, usually the platforms we get excited about are the ones that we think will be prolific in terms of creating product opportunities. So we would not get excited about a platform for the sake of a platform um, that just generates maybe insights and doesn't generate products. And so by definition, it if if we've done our job right and we've started something that's really prolific correctly, there is almost too much opportunity for one company to to prosecute just because of resource constraints and and time constraints. Yeah. And so we are very much very much interested in doing both um and and taking certain products forward ourselves in the context of a company while also um finding ways to engage with larger the the broader biopharma community and larger pharma companies to to give them access to the platform and work together on exploiting the platform leveraging the platform for different disease areas and and other product uh, opportunities so it 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 will depend on the platform as to how much would be in house how much of it would be partnerable but in every case we ask ourselves that question and in every case we are we invite that kind of partnership um and and you know part of it has to do with the amount of resources you can you can amass and part of it has to do with how much you can bite off. Um the, some of these therapeutic areas and products require uh resources that go way beyond what a small company can can muster. Um whereas others are tractable by a smaller company. And we want to we want to do both, but we can't do both and partnerships are a great way to to spread our wings and and parallel process a lot more opportunities more quickly. Yeah. Uh, now there's a sort of an Interesting in between way, and we created a group uh, at Flagship called Pioneering Medicines, which actually takes a look at our bioplatform companies and says, "Well, here's an interesting product that we could create, maybe with one of these platforms or a combination of these platforms, and let's create single product companies that leverage one or more of these platforms to advance a particular idea." A particular drug idea, um, and maybe the the individual platform companies don't want to pursue it, but pioneering medicines will, and they've got the the wherewithal and the resources to, to to put behind that that idea. And that's that's a fairly new initiative we started a couple of years ago, and we're we're advancing multiple programs that way as well.
0: Yeah. A demonstration of you know the the, uh, the agility that that you referenced earlier, and I should have asked this question if it's even a fair question to ask or, or or an answerable question. I should have asked this question earlier, but you you alluded to the fact that like there was a time when. Pioneer or when flagship pioneering might've been looked at as a VC, you know, there have been other times perhaps where companies have kind of referred to flagship pioneering as a, you know, some, some sort of a incubation space, right. A safe space for, you know, startup, startup communities. Um, and, and it's really neither of those or, or both of those. Um, t- tell me how, I guess tell me tell me how the company defines itself these days. If not a VC, if not an incubator, if not this that or the other thing. I know there are a number of different sort of hybrid approaches to to you know nurturing a community of startups these days. But give us give us sort of the definition at this point.
1: Well, uh, it's it obviously has elements of the things you talked about, but it's it's not any of those. So we are we see ourselves as innovators and company creators. Uh, and and so what we're doing is a lot of internal science and invention, and and creating bio platforms around those, that science and those inventions. So just to give you a more concrete um, dimension, we actually have hundreds of patents to our name. Where I'm the inventor on them, my colleagues and my team members are the inventors on these patents. Uh, so that's not what a VC does and that's not what an incubator does right that's something that a group of entrepreneurial innovators do and we aren't um we're, we're not a revolving door we we are we've been many of our team members have been there for for almost a decade or more and yeah. and so we are continually institutionalizing this this notion of being able to ideate and invent in teams and Create breakthrough companies in teams. So, okay, uh, well, where do we get the money? Well, we're structured like a VC. We have limited partners. Um, we have vintages of funds um, that that put money behind these bio platforms that we create. Um, but we don't invest in outside uh, outside companies. Yeah. Um, we do in in some ways incubate, of course, because. These ideas start on PowerPoint and then they end up getting materialized in terms of plans and we'll bring some scientists together and we will, in a low burn, small way, pilot our ideas experimentally. So you can call that incubation, but it's not incubating outside projects. It's incubating our own homegrown inventions and projects. So there are aspects that may resemble those things or those verbs might be accurate, (laughs) that yeah. yes we did invest and yes we did incubate and whatever but we're we're doing it in a very different way and we're doing it on things that that were conceived completely internally um and so we we see ourselves as scientists entrepreneurs and innovators and an innovation shop more so than any of the other things yeah you mentioned.
0: yeah well i'm glad i'm glad i asked because i you know i I, I can only imagine that at times it's got to be a little frustrating to be mischaracterized as something that's far narrower than than what's actually taking place there um wh- one of the things that you and I talked about not too long ago that's impacting pretty much everyone in the space and I'm curious about how it's impacting flagship and what you guys are doing with it is is computational uh computational biology you know so much of drug discovery right now is is being influenced by computational and informed by the Digita- digitization of of human biology, uh, and the computational tools that are enabled by that. Where where is that being adopted at at Flagship? Where do you see that going industry wide from here?
1: Yeah that um, that is very uh, very germane to everything we're doing, and it's uh, it's actually also a, a passion of mine. As I mentioned, I really got into the world of science and. And technology through uh, through computers and computer science, um, I I think it it's been evolving for quite a while now, in various in various ways, and will continue to evolve in a mean in, in a very meaningful way. I, we don't think it's a passing fad. Uh, the um, The early days involved, I think, were driven a lot by genomics. Right, there was so much data coming out of sequencing and generating uh, transcriptomic information, RNA information that we needed to use computers to just make sense of the data and, and run statistics on those data. Uh, and that's kind of where the field of bioinformatics emerged. Right. And so then every group had a bioinformatics team Mm -hmm. bolted onto their genomics teams because they realized, okay, we can generate all these ACs, Gs and Ts, but what, how do we make sense of all of it? Um, and then that now has evolved to also including a lot more machine learning, right? And now seeking patterns in those data and uh, and and revealing, revealing patterns that could be actionable. And then ultimately, with now programmable medicines that are nucleic acid-based, using the computation to optimize those modalities. So now you're trying to make better mRNA, or you're trying to make a better... Uh, a a better gene therapy and so you can use the combination of making many many variants of your modality and using a digital readout like sequencing to 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 read all of those and then use machine learning to interpret which ones are better and which ones aren't and 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 coming up with interesting insights that are non-intuitive about how to optimize your your modality. And so those, that's kind of how it started to evolve. And, and now, uh, and whether that's at Flagship or elsewhere, that was sort of starting to happen. But what we started to push forward on at Flagship is into generative algorithms and to start using algorithms to generate new therapies and generate new solutions. And uh, no pun intended, that's what led to the creation of Generate. our our protein design company that is using these algorithms to create new biologics uh, as opposed to try to discover them through serendipity or Mm. high throughput trial and error. Can we now conjure up the right designs based on all the learnings that we've captured from many, many examples and have an algorithm give us the best solution to, to the problem almost right away? Uh, and and that's been super exciting for us. And I don't think it'll stop in the realm of proteins. It's going to happen for RNA drugs and DNA drugs and other kinds of drugs and small molecules um, as we learn more and extract those patterns. And we can start to do things that humans would just not have dreamt of doing. They would not have imagined doing them, or the only way they would have done it by is by sifting through thousands of examples and hopefully landing on one. So yeah. that's kind of that the, the evolution that that we we've seen uh, and that we've started to uh really push on uh internally but i think there's now going to be yet another frontier which is really exciting and that is really understanding biology so everything i mentioned to date has been kind of one making sense of the parts list of biology like what are all the genes what are all the proteins let's make sense of the parts list and try to compile that the next was Let's optimize our existing drugs and or maybe generate new drugs through all the trials and errors we've made and having a machine help us learn through that and generate new things. But then finally, I think applying machine learning to biology itself to decode the programs of biology is going to be to me the next frontier. So we've we've talked a lot about programmable medicines, for example, right? So you can now design an mRNA to do a certain thing, and then you get a very predictable effect. But the number of programs that we know and that we would actually write and trigger are very few yeah they're quite few they're and they're quite simple it's it's almost in the early days of computer programming where we would make simple programs where we we need to get to a place where we now understand more of the biological programs that that cells undergo and that that the human body uh carries out and then start to program medicines to, to play with those programs and, and and modulate those programs. And I think that can only happen through machine learning. It can only happen through taking in a lot of this complex biology. And instead of having a human sift through it and try to recognize a pattern or a linkage, which, which has been fruitful to date, but it's been very hard and piecemeal to have a computer reveal patterns that are non-intuitive and programs that are non-intuitive, and then designing drugs to modulate and take advantage of those programs. So mm-hmm. I think that that's really the next new frontier and we're we're pushing hard on that. Um, the, the The next one is also to have computers start to do reasoning and and maybe even come up with new innovations and new company ideas. Uh, why not? I think we're getting to a place where uh, we can have augmented entrepreneurship, if you will, or augmented innovation. Using computers and humans in this the same sparring and question and answer creative process that we do among humans, I think we can do with with computers and generative algorithms as they get better and better at proposing things. They're not always going to be right. Um, they're going to, to to obviously come up with a lot of wacky things. Sometimes they're called hallucinations, but I think as humans, we can start to we can start to play with that and and spar with it, and it'll increase our productivity of innovation.
0: Yeah. Uh, are are the tools that that you're seeing that you're playing with the flagship and that you're seeing out there in the industry now uh, largely proprietary? Uh, I, I think about like you know, it, it's it's become it's become uh, sort of sort of household technology in many respects. I mean, ChatGPT now is accessible for, for, for anyone to use. And obviously that's a, you know, you can, you can type some commands into chat GPT and have it do some things with the English language or create, you know, create this or that. It's obviously on a different scale, but um, will we see, are are we seeing a a solution provider ecosystem uh, in, in biopharma or is a lot of this work, this compute work proprietary happening sort of in skunk works operations within You know, under the dome of of specific biopharmas who have adopted it,
1: it's it's all of the above. I think there are obviously plenty of algorithms that you can now find um, out in the public domain and and leverage for for a variety of applications. Uh, Oftentimes, though, companies are also developing their own or they're creating hybrids. You know, using open source tools to create proprietary pipelines and workflows. I think at the end of the day. What's going to provide a competitive edge and, and lead to interesting breakthroughs and outcomes is the questions you ask uh, and, the, and the things you do with it versus the algorithms themselves and, and arguably the data that you, you can feed it um, and, 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 and train on. Uh, so those are the things that end up becoming more proprietary, but they're also not very easy to always protect right so i it, it's it's a question of how creative can you get with these tools uh versus developing the tool and holding on to it uh for for dear life i think you can do that for a little while but it, it it's always the the pace of innovation is so fast in this arena you can come up with a great algorithm and then a few months later there are better algorithms or slightly different algorithms that tackle the same problem in a different way that you'd be crazy not to to, to leverage uh, even even in your own company, um, and that others will have access to. Uh, so you can't you can't stand still. you really can't. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's the question you ask with it and what you apply to and the kind of data that you generate that you can you can use to your advantage
0: you you mentioned the question you ask and i i you know i want to ask you just a couple of philosophical i know we're running short on time here dr kavigian so we'll 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 breeze through these but i want to ask you some sort of philosophical theoretical questions around computational and and i gather by what you're saying that the question you ask right now is is the is where the 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 real i guess human intellect and value lie um the the question I, I I I put I would pose to you is the down the road when when everything's been mapped right the whole of human biology has been has been mapped every road like Google Maps, um, as well as pathology like it's it's all been it's all been mapped. Who knows if it's possible or if it'll ever happen? And every permutation has been anticipated. What will be left? Every question, in other words, has has been asked. It's been posed. Right what will be left for, for human scientists to, you know, what would their role be? Well, I think there's always, I, and I don't mean to, by the way, I don't mean to make this sound like, you know, I'm that I'm that guy who's like, Oh, the AI is going to take all of our job. Oh, Although, yes. you know, I, I do a fair bit of, uh, of, of writing as as a course of my, my career, you know, for, for a living. And there are some pretty sophisticated tools out there uh, now that, you know, you can type a few prompts in and come up with a, you know, pretty comprehensive Article. So I'm not. I'm not going to say that there's not a little bit of like, hmm. You know what's going to happen to the writer down the road. Uh, But but I'm curious. I mean, you know, there there's a a beautiful element to the situation where the smarter we make these machines, the more uh, the more direct and rapid the path to solutions for patients. It's 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 undeniable. Um, But at the same time, you know, guys like you coming out of McGill with a with with a high science degree, bringing value to a space. Uh, what, what's going to be left for, for guys like you down the road?
1: Well, you know, I, I I think, I think there's going to always be room for human creativity and ingenuity. Uh, we've, we've been through industrial revolutions before, uh, and, and yes, that, that has probably eliminated certain tasks and jobs, but it, it hasn't eliminated the human. In fact, it's created more jobs and, and, and more work to do. Um, at a different level, at a different and, and at a different um, in a different playing field, and so that to me is a, is a welcome change and an exciting one. Uh, I, I think there's always going to be room to ask questions. That I mean, I don't think computers are always going to ask the best questions, at least for the time being. And just like you said in chat GPT or GPT four, you need to put in a prompt. Uh, how well you formulate that prompt creates a better answer how many times you ask the question in different ways you get a different answer uh i think there's there's plenty of creativity to be had it's just going to accelerate that creativity um i also think there's going to be decisions to be made ethical decisions to be made rational decisions to be made value judgments to be made that can be informed or enhanced by by ai but may also need to be error checked by humans for 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 quite a long time um and we have to be very careful about that we really have to be careful about that i think you can you can look at the world of diagnostics and you can say well great they're, they're, computers are really good at at doing at reading a radiogram and and interpreting uh, x-rays and so on but they're also they can be led astray really really easily um with with a watermark in 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 the radiogram or some other artifact mm-hmm. and we have to be very careful about about those kinds of things i mean there was one paper published uh, out of China, I believe. they were able to fool the Tesla self-driving system with a few post-it notes placed on on the street. I mean, mm. so I don't think we're first of all, I don't think we're there yet where everything's all 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 said and done and and we have to just sit back and watch. Uh, but even even when things get get better and 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 uh, more accurate, there's there's going to be plenty of room for creativity and 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 mashing things together, working at the intersection of disciplines, uh, connecting the dots uh and making ethical and 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 value decisions um uh, by humans,
0: yeah, well, I hope I've given you i i've I've given you the opportunity to talk about where two of those worlds collide computational and 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 your your background in science. i mean you've you've done you've done a fantastic job uh speaking to it um. And like I said, we're, we're short on time, so I'm going to let you off the hook here, but let's close out with just some kind of forward-looking statements about what's next for, for you and flagship and you at flagship. You've been there for quite a while. It seems like, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to project, but I, I look at the role that you've played there to date. And I think, well, why, why would he, why would he want to do anything else? Like he gets to be an entrepreneur over and over and over again, within the same four walls. Is that sort of your mentality?
1: That well, you answered the question. Absolutely. Every day is new. Every every year is new. Uh and and science is continually evolving. I don't know where else I'd rather be. Um, as as I mentioned in the beginning of our discussion, I've always wanted to be at the bleeding edge. I've always been curious. And I'm finally at a place where I can continually scratch that itch and satiate that hunger. Um, you know, every every company that we create, we 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 end up uh, almost going through that same feeling of of a of the birth of a of a of a child, you know that same excitement you get uh, at at the beginning of of all the possibilities and potential that you've now enabled. That to me is super exciting, and I don't think ever gets old. Honestly, I mean I've got my profound jacket on. I was I had that hat on today, and profound is working at the frontier of biology, identifying new proteins in the human genome. You know, twenty years ago, when the human genome project was being complete, everyone was excited about the twenty thousand protein coding genes we uncovered. Well, at profound, we're, we're asking the question: Could there be more? And if there are more, could there be a whole new biotechnology industry built around those new proteins? And so, how could it ever get? How could this ever get old? I mean, um, yeah. I could I can name you every other company that I'm working on. I just happen to be wearing yeah. that jacket, um, but. But that's, that's the, that's the sensation that, that we get every day here at flagship.
0: Well, it's a safe place to have that sensation. I was just thinking as you were likening the the sensation to the birth of a child, I, I've got two, two kids, of my own, an 18 year old and a 16 year old, I'm far past the point of ever experiencing the reality of that sensation and childbirth again. So it's a safe place. I mean, you, you and I are probably around the same age. It's a safe place for you to enjoy that, enjoy that sensation. Right. <laughs> um, and and you know what the the different company profanity I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you threw that out there uh you know I'd like to have you back on the show at some point, uh, maybe multiple times to talk about some of these specific companies as I as I mentioned I've had Mike Severino from Tesseron I've had Twen Ong from from Ring on I know there are a couple other uh, flagship pioneering companies that we've had on the podcast you know maybe maybe you come on with some of those flagship pioneering CEOs of specific companies and talk about their origin stories it'd be fantastic.
1: Yeah, I would love to. Would it's, love to. I'm I'm actually sitting yeah, I'm actually sitting at Laurent. So that's another company that that we created um working on endless RNA and and creating translatable RNA molecules for a wide wide array of indications and applications. So yeah, would love to to talk about the 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 science and and the origin story for these various uh various new bio platforms and and what their potential holds.
0: Yeah, well, this was a good starting point, and I'll, I'll uh, as, as long as you're willing to spend the time, I'll hold you to that. Excellent. Thank Thanks
1: you. Thanks for
0: the time. Thank you for having me. So that's flagship pioneering general partner, Dr. Avak Kavijian. I'm Matt Piller, and this is The Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online, part of the Life Science Connect community, and supported by Cytiva, which demonstrates its commitment to new and emerging biopharma companies at citiva.com backslash emerging biotech. Go check that out. Visit us at bioprocessonline.com and be sure to sign up for the Business of Biotech newsletter at bioprocessonline.com backslash B-O-B. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.